it's great to worship with you in Mesa at South Mountain online. Everyone join together today. I want to deliver a message as we close up our emotional health series. I hope this message will enable you to say with me, I'm so happy. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. Half the room's happy. Okay, good. We got some work to do. I think everyone wants to be happy though. America founded, giving us the liberty to pursue life, liberty, and happiness. Everyone's pretty much pursuing it, but I would say few people are finding it. My prayer is that Generation Church would be a house of joy and that your hearts would be filled with the joy of the Lord in a way that it would just spill out of you everywhere you go and people would look at you and know there's something different about you. There's something different in you. How can I get what you've got? And you'll be able to tell them it's the joy that comes from knowing Jesus. Amen. Do you know that God actually wants you to be happy? He does. He says in Philippians 4, verse 4, Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. This is actually a command. But we don't act like it's a command. Like, well, no one could really always be full of joy. No one could really always rejoice. But this is a command, and it's kind of unique the way it's repeated like this. The Bible doesn't do this with most of the other commands. It's not like, hey, thou shall not murder. I'll say it again. No murdering. But here it is. You know, I'll say it again in case you missed it the first time. Rejoice. It's a command that we, you should see some of your faces. You're like, yeah, re- rejoice. God's good. The Bible tells us we should rejoice and be filled with the joy of the Lord. But the reason that we don't take it seriously and we think it's just idealistic and not realistic is because we have a skewed perspective on joy. We tend to look for it in the wrong places. You know when you go to an ice cream shop and they have the sample spoons where you can taste the different flavors? And you'll say, like, oh, let me try that mocha. And you go, mm, mm, that's really good. Let me, let me get some cookies and cream. Okay, yeah, thank you. Uh, and you'll even try some that you would never actually buy. Yeah, I'll try that bubble gum chocolate chip. Okay. <laughs> Weird, but you know, hey, it's free, so I'll try it. And I think that like these little sample tastes of ice cream are a lot like the world's way of pursuing joy. They get these little nibbles of joy as they pursue relationships and sex and more money and power and prestige. But all they ever really get is like a temporary little hit of happiness. Their team wins the Super Bowl and they're happy for the night. And the next day they're back to their depressing, sad lives. Kid graduates high school. I made it. They're sad the next day again. Oh, yeah, yeah, amazing. Breakthrough, promotion at work. Mm, got a bonus. Mm, just a little sample. And then they're empty and hollow because all they're getting is little nibbles, little tastes of happiness, and that cannot sustain you. It's not the joy of the Lord. As Christians, we have access to an ongoing, continuous stream of supernatural joy. It's a lot more like this. Like when I was in the Army, before I got deployed, I did combat lifesaver training, and I had to learn how to give an IV. We got any nurses and doctors in the house today? Any EMTs, paramedics? Anyone here today? We love you if you are. Okay. Can we say like, we just like let's, let's like, woo! Woo! Nurses, doctors, EMTs, paramedics, firefighters, we love you! Well, 
I will say, I am two for two on giving IVs. I've given two IVs in my day both times. I nailed it right into the vein. You got to do it right. You know that? You know, you get the fluid going. You can't just jab a needle in someone's arm. I mean, you'll get fluids in them. It just won't really help them, will it, right? You got to get it in the vein. And then there's all these valves and stuff. You got to get them open. You got to get it untangled so that the fluid can actually flow and help them. Well, with joy, we got to get the right source and we got to get it going into our spirits and we got to get the right perspective so that it's open, so that it's flowing. And then what that lets us do is not just nibble on joy from momentary happiness to momentary happiness, but it lets us walk through life with an ongoing, steady source of joy just flowing into our spirits regardless of what happens around us. But you got to have the right source. you got to understand how it works. So Romans 15 verse 13, it says this. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy because you trust in him. Watch. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. So God is the source of hope and joy. If you're not a Christian and you don't know God, you will never be truly happy. But with a relationship with the Lord... Through the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us, we have access to the joy of the Lord. So what that means is that Christians should be happy. We should be happy. If we're not happy, we're doing it wrong. You can and you will have moments of sadness because that's the appropriate response to tragedy and loss. But if we as Christians are just as depressed as the world, why would anyone want the Jesus that we have? We should be happy. we got to fix this. The reason that so many of us are joyless is because we dig wells in deserts. If you go out in the desert and you dig a well and you don't actually tap into a source of water, all that energy, all that digging, this is going to leave you more tired and dusty and thirsty. And this is what the world does. They dig for wells in all the wrong places. They never find any refreshing, any quenching for their thirst. What we tend to do is we create a list. We think, well, I need certain accomplishments. I need to accumulate certain possessions. I need to achieve a certain type of status. And if I can get things the way I want them, if I can control my life and shape my life the way I want it, then I'll be happy. The list changes as you grow, as you grow up. When you're a little kid, you think, well, if I could just get video games and candy and toys and more screen time, like I'd be happy. You get a little older and you think, well, if I could just get a boyfriend or a girlfriend. You get a little older and you think, if I could get a job and move out of my parents' house. You get a little older, if I could get a better job, if I could make more money, if I could get a bigger house, a nicer car, a car with leather seats, a name brand watch, more shoes, vacations, beaches, then I'd be happy. But it never does lead to happiness, does it? All this success, all the accumulation and the striving, it's just these little nibbles of happiness, that they fade away. I saw an interview with Kevin O'Leary from Shark Tank, and he talked about how he sold his business in his 30s and became a billionaire. And he said, now I'm going to retire, I'm going to travel the world, I'm going to visit all the most beautiful beaches of the world. Well, he goes on to, to tell us that within a few months of just traveling around and sitting on these beaches day after day and drinking margaritas, it left him miserable. He said he was miserable, so he went back to work. 
And you would think that if anyone would definitely be happy, it would be a billionaire. Could go wherever you want, do whatever you want, buy whatever you want, have whatever you want. It's like you're a mini god, but yet no happiness, misery. It's because stuff, power, success, and wealth cannot make us happy. Only God can make you happy. But you, you realize that some of you have more faith in yourself than in God to bring happiness. You think, if I could just get it right, if I could do it the way I want, if I could make it the way I want, if I could get the stuff I know I want, then I'd be happiness. And you trust your own abilities and wisdom more than God's ability to make you happy. And we got to get this we got to get this right. In Galatians 5.22 it says, But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our life. Love, joy, peace, and there's a whole list of other good stuff. But this is the way the Holy Spirit works. If you plant apple seeds, you're going to get an apple tree. You're not going to get watermelon. You're not going to get green beans. You're going to get apples. And if you're a Christian, you get the Holy Spirit inside of you, you're going to get joy. You're going to get joy. You're not going to get bitterness and sadness from the Holy Spirit. You might feel those things. They don't come from God. It's okay to be sad sometimes. It's not a sin to be sad. But all sadness comes from sin, from death, disappointment, and pain, all the result of sin. And so the answer to our sin problems, always Jesus. Amen. Jesus brings delight to the disappointed. He brings healing to the hurt. He brings death to life. So if sadness comes from sin, happiness is going to come through Jesus Christ, our King of Kings. Amen. Do you believe God wants you to be happy, church? Do you believe this? He doesn't want to just help you endure life just to make it through to Friday. Like he wants you to enjoy your life. He really does want to help you enjoy your life. And, and some Christians are skeptical about feelings, suspicious of feelings. Like, oh, you can't trust your feelings. Feelings aren't good. But feelings are given to us by God. He's the one that created your emotions and your soul to feel. So, of course, he cares about how you feel. I've heard pastors say, I've heard Christians say, joy is not the same as happiness. I hate it when Christians say this. They'll say joy is not the same as happiness. They'll be like, oh, you know, happiness is just a feeling. Joy is a state of being. Well, I want the feeling. I want the feeling of being happy. Like what good is it to have joy if it doesn't make you happy? Well, let's get on the same page. There are Christians, they don't have joy, so they just change the definition of it so they don't feel bad about not having it. But joy is happiness. The definition, it's an emotion evoked by well-being, success, and good fortune, delight, the expression of emotion, gaiety, the state of happiness or felicity, bliss, sounds pretty happy. That's what joy, that's what joy is. And then if you go to the theological side of it, and you look up the original Greek language in the New Testament, the word joy, it comes from the Greek word chara. Feel free to say that if you want to clear your throat. Chara. What does it mean? It means cheerfulness, delight, gladness. It's actual happiness. That's what biblical joy is. Emotional feelings of delight, gladness, and cheer. It's not some ethereal state of spiritual nirvana where you're just like, oh, I'm good. I have joy. I mean, some Christians, I'm like, how are you doing? You, you guys all right? You, you, you happy? No, but I have joy. I have the joy of the Lord. It's like, 
Ooh, I don't want the kind of joy you have. I want to be happy. If you're not happy, you're doing it wrong. In Nehemiah 8, verse 10, the Lord says, Go and celebrate with a feast of rich foods and sweet drinks and share gifts of food with people who have nothing prepared. This is a sacred day before our Lord. Don't be dejected and sad, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Okay, so here is a demonstration out of Nehemiah, but we could take it out of that context and apply it to our lives today. The Lord doesn't want you to walk through life dejected and sad. He wants you to celebrate. And why? Why should you celebrate? Because Christianity is a celebration of our salvation. It should be a party. It should be a party. Some of you used to be party animals before you got saved, right? You go out drinking on the weekends. I want to rock and roll all night and party every. And then you got saved and you were more fun before Jesus. Now you just go to church as a Christian. You're like, oh yeah, the joy of the Lord is my strength. I miss Crazy Carrie and Good Time Gary. What? Would it help if we changed out the communion juice for actual wine? Like, I don't know. But partying is actually God's idea. The devil counterfeited it and made it all about substance and sex and rebellion against authority. But God's the one who designed celebration and partying. We just got to party about the right things. We've got to celebrate our victory through Jesus. Now, let's get real. It's hard. It's kind of hard to be happy with hard things and sad things going on in your life. Disappointing situations, sad situations. And so you might think the answer to hard things is to get God to fix your problems. If you could just get him to stop the attacks of the enemy and heal your pain and prosper you at work, then you'd be happy. But that's not the correct way to think about it. God won't always fix your problems, but he will always fix your perspective. And you don't actually need him to fix all your problems to be happy, which is good because he won't always fix all your problems, but he will always fix your perspective. And that's what you need in order to be happy. I walked by this uh, storefront the other day with Amy. We were shopping, you know, and the window kind of reflected weird. I saw my reflection in the, in the window, and it made me look like 100 pounds heavier than I actually was. And it kind of bummed me out. I was like, now I don't even want to finish my caramel frappuccino with extra whipped cream. <laughs> and then backstage here, um, we have this mirror, you know, just like checking check mirror. And this mirror is amazing. Just like the way it was made accidentally, it takes 10 pounds off. I'm telling you, it's amazing. You look in this mirror, you might have ate terrible yesterday. You're just like, oh, I look so good. And you, you, you just feel good. Reality didn't change. Just the way I see reality has changed. And it totally changed the way I feel. And, and so that's what, that's what I've noticed is that if you're a Christian and you're persistently unhappy, it could be that you have valued the wrong things and that you're seeing the world in the wrong way. Maybe your scale is broken, so you're measuring the wrong things. Maybe you're looking at life through the wrong lens, and so your perspective is skewed. If you want to be happy, you don't need God to fix all your problems. You need him to fix your perspective. Let me ask you, do you have faith that God can change the way you feel? You realize this is actually a faith issue? Happiness is a faith issue. When you got saved, it was by faith, 
You believed that Jesus would save you. When we get healed physically, it's by faith that the Lord heals us through his power. You need faith to be happy even before you feel it. In Romans 15, 13, it says, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Why is he going to fill you? How is he going to fill you with joy and peace? It's through faith, through trust. That word trust, it's belief. It's faith. It's trust. Happiness is a faith issue. And so if you're struggling with sadness and you can't quite get yourself to feel happy, I think you need to start to believe, trust in Jesus, that he will make you happy even before you feel it. In Mark chapter 5, there was a woman with an issue of blood, and she came to Jesus by faith. And he said, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Some people are sick in their spirits, and they're crushed and depressed, and they're persistently sad. And they need to go to Jesus by faith, believing that faith will result in healing, even emotional healing. I think sometimes you just got to say, no, I don't know how I feel. It doesn't matter how I feel. I, I got to believe. I believe I will be happy. I believe I am happy. My faith is making me, my faith is making me whole by God's grace. You've got to believe the right things and value the right things and see with the right perspective. So, I mean, I would say if we are saved by faith because of God's grace, how much more should we be filled with happiness by faith? Through God's grace. So I, I think sometimes what, what you got to do here is you've actually got, got to declare this. You've got to declare this. And the Bible talks about to, what it means to prophesy is to declare truth from God to people for their own encouragement. It's not always like fortune telling. It's not futuristic necessarily. It's proclaiming the truth from God to people. And sometimes you got to kind of prophesy to yourself. you got to proclaim the truth to yourself by faith in God. And so I would do it like this. I am happy because I'm saved. I'm loved. I have Jesus and heaven is my home. It's not just mind over matter, but your mindset does matter. And, and you're not going to just find happiness just through willpower. It's going to come through believing the right things by faith. I believe I'm happy. Even though I don't feel that way yet, and, and it's for a good reason. It's because I'm saved, I'm loved, I have Jesus, and heaven is my home. So why don't we do this? Let's say it together. You don't have to say it. You can stay sad if you want. But you can say it with me. Right, right here you go. One, two, three. I am happy because I'm saved, I'm loved, I have Jesus, and heaven is my home. Amen. Let me talk through these. First, I am happy because I am saved. I'm saved. Imagine that you had a bad heart and you were on the list to get a heart transplant. You were waiting for an organ donor. And until you get that donor, it's hopeless. There's nothing you can do. There's no other solutions. You need a heart transplant or else you'll die. Well, if you get the call one day, phone rings. How happy are you going to be? When you find out a donor has been found, a match has been found, I mean, that would make you happy. If a heart transplant that saves your life would make you happy, how much more should a spiritual heart transplant that saves your soul make you happy? I should be happy that I'm saved. 
in Luke chapter 10, the 72 disciples returned from their mission to Jesus, and it says they reported joyfully to him, Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. And in verse 19, look, he says, I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy, and you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them. Nothing will injure you. Watch what Jesus says. But don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you. Rejoice because your names are registered in heaven. Rejoice because your names are registered in heaven. It's not the momentary tactical victories over the devil that should really cause us to rejoice as much as the fact that your name is written in the book of life and your soul has been saved from hell. One day, every human being is going to stand before God and his judgment throne. Every single one of us. And those who have been found guilty of their sins are going to be thrown into the lake of fire, the Bible says. Revelation 20 says, And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. This is why becoming a Christian is a really big deal. It's not just one of many nice life choices and paths you could take that, that will help you become a better person. This is how you escape an eternity in hell. And it's the only way. But the Bible talks about how anyone whose name is written in the book of life or registered in heaven will be saved. And, and how do you get your name written in that book? You put your faith in Jesus Christ. You believe that he's the son of God, that he died on the cross for your sins, and that he rose again, and your name is written in the book of life. And so here you know, man, before Jesus, I was on the pathway to destruction. I was going to hell. But now that I have Jesus, my name's been written in the book of life, and I'm going to heaven. I've been saved from an eternity of punishment. And some of you aren't happy because you put more weight in a temporary situation than in your eternal salvation. You think more about what's happening Monday through Friday and, and the stress of work than you think about eternity and the salvation of your soul. No wonder you're not happy. You're only thinking short term. 2021, it's nothing compared to an eternity of being saved from hell. You got to... You got to open up the, the valves here. Get, get, get the joy flowing. Get it, get it flowing into your heart, right? No, man, I'm going to heaven. Like, man, I might have a hard time at work this week, but like, I know I'm going to heaven. I'm, I'm saved. Like, my name's written in the book of life. And I know if you've been a Christian for a while, it can become easy to start to take that for granted. And it just kind of becomes like, well, yeah, I know. I know I'm saved. But that's why you got to pray. Like in Psalm 51, verse 12, it says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. i got to pray sometimes, God, I'm asking you to restore joy to me just based on the fact that I'm, being sa that I'm saved. That I'm, I'm saved from, from hell. I'm going to hell. I'm going to hell. I'm saved. That should make me happy. It, it should really fill our hearts with joy. Aren't you glad? You've been rescued. And then I'm happy because I'm loved. I'm loved. God is love. And we're made in his image. And so we've been hardwired with a need to be loved. It's not just a want, but we actually need to be loved in order to be happy. 
That's why some of the saddest moments in your life will come when you feel rejected or unloved by people. If you don't believe that you're loved, you cannot be happy. The good news is that Jesus loves you with an unfailing love, not based on what you do, but based on who you are. It's not based on your performance, which changes day in and day out. It's based on your identity, which does not change. You're a child of God, and so his love for you is consistent. In John 15, Jesus said, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. So he didn't just say he loved you, but he also proved it when he laid his life down on the cross and died for you. And this allows us to have joy. Even if people reject you, you know Jesus continues to love you. And he doesn't just love you, he also likes you. How cool is that? Like parents know, like, you go through phases with your kids where you're like, I do love them, but I don't know that I like them right now. <laughs> but Jesus loves you and he likes you because he's the one who created you. Even your little quirks that might annoy other people, like your annoying laugh or your weird sense of humor, God thinks it's great. He, lo he loves it because he's the one that gave it to you. He enjoys you and he loves you. He says, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. You are a creative masterpiece made by God. And so if his love makes us happy, then we need to experience his love. If you want to experience his love, you've got to prioritize time in his presence. It says in Psalm 16, In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. you got to get in his presence if you want to experience the fullness of joy. And so one of the ways you can do this is start out each day with time of Bible reading and prayer and worshiping God. Because, yes, God is omnipresent, which means he's everywhere. He lives inside of us, so he is always present with us. But there are some things you can do that will allow you to experience a special manifestation of his presence. Like reading the Bible and, and praying and putting your attention on him and worshiping him, you will experience his presence in a more full way, which will lead to more full joy. And another thing you can do is prioritize going to church. On a regular basis. This is why you need to come to church every week that you can. Because coming together with God's people who are united in our, our love for the Lord, we're united in our love for the Lord, and we lift up his name together, that results in a special type of manifestation of God's presence. It's not that we can make him show up. It's that he just has this tendency where he likes to show up when people praise his name. The Bible says he inhabits the praises of his people. So that's why coming to church and getting in his presence in a special way, it will change the way you feel and result in more joy. Another part of that is that when you come to church and other people have the opportunity to love you, God uses our love for each other to demonstrate his love for us. And remember, I'm happy because I'm loved. Well, when you serve one another, when you give to one another, when you show patience and kindness and mercy to one another, you're demonstrating God's love for us to each other. And that helps us to feel 
joy. So that's why it's so important we come on a regular basis because there will be some weeks when you are sad. There will be some weeks when you are frustrated or hurt or struggling with depression. That doesn't mean that you're not a real Christian. That's just life. We all have ups and downs. And I've preached about sadness in this series. If you, if you are sad, go listen to that. Um, maybe some of you are sad today. Well, you came to the right place. Because <laughs> just coming and, and being around other Christians who have the joy of the Lord, it will rub off on you. Not just biblically, but scientifically it's been proven. There was a neuroscientist named Sophie Scott at the University College of London. And her and her fellow researchers, they studied the brain waves of people as they played them different types of sounds. They played positive sounds of laughter and triumphant shouting. And they played negative sounds, screaming and scary things. And they measured the brain waves of people with an MRI as they listened to these sounds. And they found that both types of sounds had an effect on the premotor cortical region of the brain. That's what it's called. But the positive sounds, laughter and cheering and shouting, had a much greater impact on the brain. And it's the part of the brain that makes us respond by smiling and laughing ourselves. Now, atheists would say, well, that's because you evolved to fit in with your peers. But we know better. Those of us who have the wisdom of the Lord would say, no, that's because God designed us to be encouraged by our peers. Right? And so what he did is he made joy contagious. In a day when everyone's trying to avoid catching a virus, you need to come to church so you can catch some happiness. Amen? Let other people's joy rub off on you. I'm grateful for the Lord's love. And then this, I'm happy because I have Jesus. Amen? Aren't you grateful for that? Because one of the main reasons that we struggle with sadness is because we see ourselves as lacking. Oh, I don't have this. I don't have that. No one, I don't have a nice enough house. I don't have a good enough job. I don't make enough money. I don't know. My, I lost a girlfriend. I lost a boyfriend. My, I don't have enough friends. I don't have the health I once had. We think of all the things we're lacking. But if you have Jesus, you have everything you need. So there will come times when you lose, and it's appropriate to grieve. But if you want to be happy, you've got to give thanks for what you have more than you grieve what you've lost. You could always find reason to be sad. You could always find a reason to be disappointed. In any given moment, there's a list of reasons. You could be sad and disappointed and frustrated. But you could also always find a reason to be grateful. You can always find something to give God thanks for. I was talking to one friend about finances and taxes, and he was like, man, I'm so mad. i got to pay all these taxes. And I was like, isn't there a tax credit for that? We were just, I'm a kind of a nerd about that stuff. You know, and he were talking about it. He's like, I don't qualify for the tax credit, he said. I was like, why not? And he said, I make too much money to qualify for the tax credit. I'm so mad i got to pay these taxes. And I was like, but at least you make too much money to qualify for the tax credit. I mean, you could kind of see the glass half full or half empty, there's definitely something you could give thanks for in this situation, amen? 
I think I've been guilty of that too. There's always something I could be thankful for, but I tend to focus in on the one thing that I'm lacking in that moment. And then I'm like, oh, I'm so bummed. I'm so sad. I'm so frustrated because I don't have that thing or it didn't work out. But what about all the good things? that you do have, you need to give thanks twice as much as you grieve what you've lost. It says in 1 Thessalonians 5.16, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. How are you going to rejoice always? Well, you're going to pray continuously. What does that mean? Anytime you have a need, you can just bring it to God. But you should also give thanks in all circumstances. You cannot be happy until you're grateful. You will not be happy until you're grateful. In every situation, you can develop the spiritual discipline of thankfulness. We think of happiness and emotion as reactionary, like I can't really control how I feel, it's just, you know, reaction to the moment, but you can control your, your thanksgiving and the gratitude of your heart in all circumstances, not just the wins, but in even the losses, good times and bad times. Man, I'm sick and I would love to be healed, but I'm thankful I'm still alive, amen? Yes, I lost my job and I need another job, but I'm thankful for food stamps in Jesus' name. Man, I know that I lost a loved one, but I'm thankful for all the loved ones I still have. The world is divided and I would love to see peace, but my home is united. My church is united. I'm thankful for the good things in my life. You are allowed to be upset and to vent, but you need to vent gratitude more than you vent your frustration. I'm grateful for what we have, and we have Jesus, we have everything. And then this, I'm happy because heaven is my home. I'm happy because heaven is my home. The other day, this lady asked me for my driver's license, and she did that thing, is this your current home address? Is this your current home address, you know? And I think about all the, uh, the chaos in the world, the tragedy, the hardship, it's ongoing and persistent. As a Christian, if that overwhelms you and depresses you and robs you of joy, it could be that you have registered the wrong home address. You might have registered the wrong home address. I read this article the other night when I was lying in bed about global warming and the rising oceans. And it was all about how beachfront property in Miami is disappearing as the oceans rise. And over the next couple of years, you know, it's going to rise this much per year. And uh, talking about, man, it's going to destroy this economy. And, and I'm reading this, this article about the oceans rising. And I'll be honest, I didn't really care. Because <laughs> I don't live there. <laughs> I mean, does that make me a terrible person? No, it makes me an Arizona resident. I'd probably care if I lived in South Beach, but I think about California getting swallowed by the ocean. Now we have beachfront property. It's, it's, not, it's not that I'm not concerned. It's just hard to care that much because I don't live there. 
And man, I'm not saying we shouldn't care about what's going on in the world, but we should care the right amount. Man, like recycling is great. I'm all for it, you know, separate those things out. But I just don't care that much because the Bible says the whole world's going to burn anyway. God's going to destroy it. And re- people are like, save the planet. I'm like, you're fighting against God. He's going to burn the whole thing and redo it anyway. So sure, recycle, but let's not get that stressed out over it. I know that heaven is my actual home. And that's where I'm heading. God's goal is that we would know him and that we would spend eternity with him in relationship. And that once we do know him, we would help other people to know him and come into relationship with him. That's God's purpose for your life is that you would help other people come to know him and enjoy the same relationship you have with him, which allows you to see your hardships in a different light. If you want to be happy, you've got to rename your trials as training. There are going to be trials and hardships in your life, and they could rob you of joy if you don't identify them correctly. They're not always just trials sent to destroy you, but it could be training that God has allowed to develop you. You know, when you look at weight in a gym on a barbell, right, the way you see that weight will determine how you feel about it. It's either a tool to train you or it's a burden to crush you. It's the way you see it as disappointment and hardship and, and, and challenges come into your life. You can look at them as curses sent to crush you or as, as challenges that God has allowed to develop you and train you so that you would grow in strength. In James chapter 1, it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So as you face trials and tests and challenges and ups and downs, you know God is going to use all of these trials to train me. He's making me stronger. He's developing my perseverance, which is going to lead to me becoming more mature and complete. Let me say it another way. I'm going to be ready for more responsibility and opportunity to lead other people to Jesus and make a greater impact in God's kingdom. So I'm not going to reject and resent all the trials. I'm going to receive them in joy, knowing that God's going to use even the hard things for good. Amen? We all, I'm closing with this. We all hate spoilers when it comes to movies and television and books, but we need spoilers sometimes when it comes to our soul. Sometimes we need to peek at the back of the book and look at the ending of the story. Jesus told us to expect hard times, but that it shouldn't overwhelm us and rob us of joy. In John 14, Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. So Jesus is talking about after he left this earth following his resurrection, he went to heaven. He's at the right hand of the father and he's preparing a place for us. He's working on our eternal home. 
our new home. And man, there's going to be a place for you. You sing old, old church songs about mansions in the sky. And, and God is literally preparing a home for you. Some of you, it might be like more of a condo. I don't know. It depends on how, how you handle your opportunities. But it's going to be good either way. It's going to be great. And there's going to be no more weeping, no more sickness, no more pain, no more wars or famines or division or heartache or tragedy. All those things will be gone forever. He will wipe every tear from every eye This will be a place of joy and celebration. And so we know that every day that goes by, we are one day closer to our eternal reward. Jesus said he is coming for us to take us there. One day, he's going to show up. One day, we're out of here. And man, the older you get and the more you see of life, the more your body breaks down and the more you lose and experience heart, the more you start to long for the return of Jesus. Like, Lord, if you could just come back any day now, that would be amazing. Well, look what it says in Philippians 4. I'm going to read the next verse. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again. Rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember the Lord is coming soon. I'm happy because heaven is my home and the Lord is coming soon. One day he's going to show up in the sky with all of his angels. The Bible says how many angels? 10,000 times 10,000. That's 100 million angels. As many as the stars in the sky filling the heavens with Jesus on a horse, with a robe, with his name tattooed on his thigh, coming back for his people and saying, we're out of here. Like you guys, we're done. Like we've done it. And we get to go and be with him in heaven for eternity. Man, we know that it's coming any day now. So, man, how am I supposed to be happy? Because I'm going to remember the right things. I am happy. I believe it by faith because I'm saved. I'm loved. I have Jesus and heaven is my home. Man, sometimes hard things happen, but I'm happy because I'm saved. Man, sometimes people reject me, but I'm happy because I'm loved. Man, sometimes I lose out, but I'm happy because I have Jesus. This world is crazy, but I'm happy because heaven is my home. That's how we can be happy in the good times and in the bad times. Yes, we'll have sad moments, but our default state is joy. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your unfailing love and kindness. I pray for every person in our church today who might be going through a difficult season. I believe that goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives and will dwell in your house forever. Lord, I pray that you would fill us up with your peace and your joy that surpasses understanding and that persists even through hardship and tragedy and pain, God, that we would be people of joy, that the world would see our joy and that it would set us apart. I pray that right now even you'd begin to just fill us up with with happiness, with gladness and cheer in our hearts, knowing that we are victorious in you. And I thank you for that, Lord. We receive that by faith. And I want to take a moment so that anyone who might be here today who says, I need to have a relationship with God. Maybe you've been searching for happiness and you've come up short. Maybe you've been asking questions like, what's the meaning of life? Maybe you've been wondering, what's going to happen to me if I die? All of those questions ultimately lead us to our Savior, Jesus Christ. And he is asking us to let him into our hearts. 
The question is, will you open your life up and accept him and let him in? The way that you're saved, the way your name is registered in heaven, as we talked about, is you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead. The Bible says you will be saved. It's a matter of believing that Jesus is the Son of God, that he came to earth and lived a perfect life, that he died on the cross for our sins, and that he rose again so we could have life. And if you want to accept Jesus today, this is your moment. Wherever you're at, I'm going to lead you in a prayer and pray this with me. Just say, God, I need you to save me. I'm inviting Jesus into my life. I believe he died on the cross for my sins so I could be forgiven. And I believe he rose again so I can have eternal life. I accept Jesus as my Lord and as my Savior. Help me to follow him from this day forward to the best of my ability. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.